0: Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. You are tuning in today to our season wrap-up for summer 2023. We have a big vending machine full of anime in front of us. We're going to put some coins in and see what comes rolling out. Uh, My name is Alex. I'm one of the managing editors here at Anifem. also a recovering academic who studied queer fiction. Uh, Here's something new. You can find me on Blue Sky at AR Henderson. I'm joined today, once again, by my valiant co-hosts Peter and Tony. Hi,
1: I'm Tony. I'm a contributing editor at Anime Feminist, and you can find me on Twitter at PoetPedagogue, and on Blue Sky at PoetPedagogue, and I also help run the NFM TikTok.
2: I'm Peter Phobian. I'm manager of YouTube content and strategy at Crunchyroll. I'm an editor here at Anime Feminist, and I'm Peter Phobian on Blue Sky.
0: Alright, so we have a check-in ahead of us. There are a few funny things this uh, season that we have. uh, Quite a few of the ones that we talked about last time are continuing onwards into a second core. Um, So what we'll do is we'll do a little sort of an update on them rather than discussing them as finished shows, because obviously we will save that for when they're actually wrapped up at the end of season where that applies. Uh, We also have the slightly odd case of Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead, which hit, I believe, nine episodes and then has gone on to an indefinite hiatus. He ate us? Oh, he ate us. It's a bit appropriate for a zombie show. Um, So we're going to take a chance (laughs) to talk about that one. (laughs) We're going to take the chance to talk about that one today because I don't know when exactly we're going to get a chance to talk about it next. And that one has given us uh, quite a lot to chew on.
2: Oh my god! Oh, no. Throughout the, the season,
1: the yes, this is what you get when I'm hosting. <laughs> right. yeah. you're starting to sound like uh, a certain headless detective.
0: <laughs> oh yes, we yeah. will get to that as well. <laughs> Again, nothing worse losing your head over. Ah, I should have said that to later. um So before we get on into it, I will do, we'll start off where we started last time, which is a quick check in with a level one demon lord and one room hero, uh, which I flagged last time was behaving strangely like a, or not strangely, surprisingly like a rom-com in a lot of ways. Now we have an update on that from uh, our co-staff, Caitlin, who says the kind of rom-com uh element sort of it fades into the background and indeed the horniness mostly levels out which is good because it never really meshed well with the larger plot about the actual characters though the 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 people who were formerly adventurers who have now retired. So here's what Caitlin says, it does an excellent job of examining how the aftermath of defeating the demon lord and the fame that came with it was traumatic for Max, Fred and Leo. They don't give details about what exactly happened in those 10 years. Max's burnout, Fred's cynicism, and Leo's feelings of betrayal speak for themselves. The conclusion even touches on the uselessness of the cycle of violence. Uh, It's not fantastic when it comes to its female characters. Uh, Yuria, the team's offensive mage, shows up in flashbacks, and she's awesome. Uh, She's the loner who gets drawn into the main party, which is not a role typically occupied by a female character, which is pretty neat. Also, and this is quoting verbatim from Cailin's notes, she's ripped as fuck. However, she's moved on from her life as a hero to being a stay-at-home mother, and we literally never see her face. The Demon Lord doesn't really accomplish anything in the end, but the Demon Lord and Max are implied to be in a relationship. So there you go. I did, in fact, pick up on the vibes. I wasn't going bananas. Overall, Cailin says it's not really something I can recommend on a feminist or feminist-friendly level, but when it's on, it's on. So there you go, good listeners. Um, that is the verdict on that one. Uh, maybe it has some surprisingly uh, deep and intricate stuff for chew on in terms of its themes. However, I will say, I guess, if you are interested in the broad thematic thread of what happens after the heroes defeat the bad guy and the party disbands, we do have uh, Frayrin Beyond Journeys End airing this season, which may scratch that itch without all of the uh, fan service and zany comedy. So, hey, you've got variety is a spice of life. It's good to have multiple things doing this kind of stuff around to uh, suit different tastes. Moving on from that one, though, is to the one I mentioned before that is going to give us a lot to talk about, even if it's not officially finished, and that is ZOM 100. So first of all, I just want to quickly say I hope that everyone who is working on this show is all right, because um, the kind of production delays that it has experienced, and of course the the indefinite break, they often speak to something going a bit awry right at the studio uh, in terms of perhaps crunch, things going wrong. I don't know the full details, but I just want to extend a... You know i just want to make it clear we're not sitting here complaining about the story not being finished because obviously the well-being of those animators and studio people comes first so on to the zombies though um i'm going to pass the mic to peter and tony for this one because as far as i know you have both kept up with it um and i have some interesting questions about what we sort of started talking about last time we, we were projecting that these new female characters were about to be introduced And I was, I'm very curious to find out how they have uh, shaken out.
1: So it's interesting, because like Peter, I remember when Shizuka was first introduced, you had some concerns that she would just turn into this character who was like, there to have her worldview be shattered by Ikira's kindness and love and totally change. And he kind of like, not fixes her, but kind of fixes her you know uh i'm curious did did that did that end up playing out kind of like the way you thought it would or was it a little different
2: um i well i would say in all of their interactions it's kind of like he's the one that has the joie de vivre and she has to like learn from him how to enjoy life rather than just kind of uh analytically optimize her way through life i think the the series uh, overarching narrative is kind of on his side as to what the correct way to live is and she the more they go on has to uh, it's like taking notes from him uh on how to kind of what's the, what's the saying uh, enjoy the flowers or whatever and although her intelligence obviously comes in handy a couple times uh like when they have to set up the zombie trap and something like that like obviously her intelligence is an asset I feel like the anime thinks she is uh, incomplete, in that uh, she needs him to show her how to actually enjoy her existence in any way. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I I, I do have to admit the moment when she she embodies her inner Kongming I found very delightful. Um, yeah, that was funny. Because she was just kind of geeking out um, in a way that I just loved to see, like. But yeah, it is interesting cuz like I feel like that trope is most we usually see that with girls, right? We usually see this like manic pixie dream girls kind of thing. Only only this time he's kind of a, he's kind of the manic pixie dream boy, you know. Um mm. I also think though that there it is interesting how she um how her arc ends up being connected to his because I I found the most compelling arc of the show was around episodes 6 and 7, right? and he he like ends up in the situation where he is experiencing really severe like re-traumatization from re-encountering his former boss falling back into old patterns of behavior and kind of falling under his boss's control and i i, I really appreciated how how she kind of ha- um, had to take on the role of pulling him out of that right and like mm-hmm. and like find it within herself to believe like that she could like stand up for herself and like have joy in life and kind of how that then rippled outward and she's kind of paying it forward with him and like in general i found that arc really really compelling in terms of um like for anybody i think who's had like a- an abusive boss or been in uh, abusive workplace and had trouble standing up for themselves i think they'll find like something to like see of themselves in that arc i found anyways I, it was really meaningful for me yeah i think they, they definitely
2: do share the in common the kind of uh, allowing their lives to be like co-opted and directed by somebody else for a benefit for that person's benefit rather than their own uh in his case his boss in her case her father uh so i i, I do think that that's kind of like yeah, that's an area where she stepped up because they had that kind of shared background and she didn't want to see him falling in the same trap that she had.
1: I will also say, though, that the show seems to have this engagement with gendered violence and gender-based violence that feels very, um, just like it's present but not really like commented on in depth, right? Like, for example, there's a moment where she gets sexually harassed by his boss where he asks, I forget I forget whether she allows him to fall fond- uh, fondle her breasts or whether she finds a way to kind of skirt around it without directly confronting it right
2: i i don't think he actually uh makes contact but he is uh basically telling her about all the stuff he wants to do to her, yeah
1: right and like that just kind of happens and you know it's implied by the narrative that this is disgusting and gross and you know this is yet another reason that this guy should like is a scumbag right and another aspect of the baggery but like it's not like she's the center of the narrative right and you know similar to like in the first episode where you know the sexual harassment is, that the, the woman is being sexually harassed by akira's boss and you know she then gets turned into a zombie right it's obviously a little better because she doesn't get turned into a zombie and like Is the one to like say like no fuck this dude you gotta you've got to like break out of this cycle right um and she takes narrative charge in that sense right so i guess she is kind of like a co protagonist in that story right like more so even than in the show at large (laughs) so i guess it's not fair to say like she's not the center of that story but like her experiences as a survivor you know that that aspect of them aren't isn't really addressed in any profound way Um, which is interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was
2: interesting that we kind of got her background uh, during that arc uh, just to sort of key in their connection when really she wasn't uh, the one that was experiencing any sort of uh, a personal strife uh, that was relevant. You know what I mean? Well, not relevant to her, but relevant to what was going on with him. Uh, Akira has just gotten pulled back into a toxic relationship with his his boss and is, is falling back into his... Old habit of just like letting himself be told what to do, and then suddenly you're hit with her background, uh, which I thought yeah. was a, a very uh, surprising way of going about that.
1: But I thought it really well.
2: Yeah, it's all because right. I it's because she sees in his relationship with his boss. I think that's one of the things that helps her open up to him too. Is that she sees that they both essentially had a very similar experience leading into the zombie apocalypse.
1: No, I I, th- I just really loved that arc and it was very it was very personal for me as somebody who's had like abusive bosses and has struggled with like trying to accept that I don't have to be constantly hypervigilant, right? If you're interested in another show by the way that deals with this, I this season has my my new boss is goofy, so, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so That's that? true. a um, take on similar themes in a very different genre.
1: <laughs>
2: very much so. Summer also had my tiny senpai, so you know that's true. You
0: check okay. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, so, what I'm hearing yeah. is uh, the so Zone One Hundred kind of it sounds, sounds like it's like uh, sort of improving in terms of how it's actually giving the female characters some like interiority and in screen time. Because um, last time we checked, it, it was like all the women are the hot flat attendants and the girl he had a crush on at work, who's now dead let's um, see that seems good <laughs> it sounds like um, as as predicted the show has a lot going on for it still um are there any sort of closing thoughts on this one again taking into account that this is not like the finished version of the story
2: it's tough um, I yeah, I feel like even now our discussion it, it's kind of going around in circles there's definitely like a lot of good stuff there but it's also just a lot of uh, weird, wacky zany stuff happening at the same time. Um I think especially now with the final episode they kind of set up I want to say like the anti Tendo. Um so I'm curious if they really have some kind of big ideas uh around somebody who I guess wants to do a hundred evil things before they turn into a But uh, uh <laughs> if, it, if it's got more like uh and I think the 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 guy the other guy kind of came from the same place of uh being kind of uh Or I I don't know, uh, like, I guess the other side of uh, toxic Japanese war culture, in which case he just kind of gave up on having a career, uh, left his company and uh, was just sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, trying to scrape by. So uh, there could be a lot more material there. Um, It just kind of remains to be seen. You never know if it's going to zig or zag with Zon 100.
1: I guess. 1,000%. I think this is a show yeah. that has really high highs and some really low lows. <laughs> but yeah. it never gets low lows to the point where it's like show ruining I don't foresee it pulling a Wonder Egg priority or anything like that, you know? I think in general, the show will, like in general, it is consistently like thoughtful in how it's dealing with workplace trauma. That is one thing I can say for it. Um, And it's consistently... I found it to be consistently a show that I want to come back to rather than feeling like I'm coming back to as a chore. And it's definitely beautifully animated. Like it has never stopped being gorgeous. So I'm really excited to see um, like where it goes next. And I don't know. I kind of like shows that I don't know whether it's going to zig or zag, but as long as it's not, as long as it's not zagging like to the point of being like devastating, it it can be kind of fun.
2: Yeah, and I mean, even then, its lows, I think, are just kind of, like, shallow or maybe a little exploitative. I, I would take any of the its lows over, like, literally the first
1: chapter of Undead Unluck. So, uh... Yeah, so maybe it's not that, so yeah. much high-high and low-lows, more just, like, high-highs and then some, like, really irritating moments, but nothing, like... Mm-hmm. Nothing that... Likely nothing that will... Well, depending on your taste, you know, nothing that broke the show for me. Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, that is good to know. Um, listeners, we'll return to Zone 100 when it does finish. Again, we don't know when that's going to be, but, you know, we'll be keeping an eye out and we will keep you informed of what's going on there. Um, in the meantime, though, next up on our list, we're going to check in with Dark Gathering, which is continuing into a second core, I believe. So this will just kind of be a check-in. Um, how's that one going? Has that one done anything that's uh, really sort of like floated your boat or really irritated you that the audience should know about. What do you folks reckon?
1: Did we both drop it around the same point? Cause I, I dropped it around episode like five or six. I, yeah, I think so. I read a bit
2: further into the manga since I still think the, the manga has been more enjoyable, but yeah, the adaptation is not really
1: drawing me back in.
0: It's it okay. Womp womp. That's my bad. We could have just, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I'll say why I dropped it. Just like, i mean i just kind of started to feel like it was like engaging with very very heavy themes but not in a very deep way where it's just like we're gonna talk about group suicide yeah and i'm like i i did you have to though did you have to yeah
2: it mean, was kind of Wonder Egg where like it's like let's talk about uh teenage suicide oh it's being caused by ghosts <laughs> it's just like oh man or do you really want to talk about it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I don't I, know how <laughs>
2: about uh, the the girl either, the love interest girl and her. Uh, I don't know. She's so manipulative. Yeah, she's just an absolute psychopath. Uh, so I, I I don't I don't know how to feel about that at all.
0: Sorry, I was just gonna say I love how Wonder Egg Priority has given us a great benchmark for him. <laughs> so many yeah. different kinds of of fuck ups. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. like Sorry. I'm 100.
1: I don't foresee wonder egging, but like dark gathering, it's not wonder egging because I was never invested in it. Like, <laughs> I like I always thought it like from the first episode, it was very very shallow like discussion of very heavy things like sex work, uh, abusive sex workers. Like it's and it's never stopped being that. So it's like. Yeah, anyways, that's my thoughts on Dark Gathering, and that's why I dropped it.
2: Yeah, I think that the main draw is uh Yaoyoi hunting ghosts and uh Keitaro is just kind of a, a nothing burger. Um, but like if he's good, like the kind of straight man slash bait character, that's fine. But then you have Eiko and his the love interest who is like I mean I'm to be clear, I'm glad it's not Yaoy, but she is all of her jokes are like The fact that she actually stalks him, like puts hidden cameras on him without his knowledge and shit, and she is actively trying to pull them both into dangerous situations because she likes it when he protects her, when she is ensured that they're both in a life-threatening situation, Uh, that's just kind of like, I don't know, that I don't really find, it's not even executed in a way that I find humorous, so it's just a less goofy, more creepy uh, and the only thing I really have left that I like is Yayoi being a little nightmare demon scaring the shit out of these ghosts, so, and there's only so far that'll catch you.
0: Maybe if someone keeps up with, comes back to that, we'll check in with Dark Gathering when it does finish, but maybe not, because it sounds like maybe there's not too much there for our um, <laughs> interested parties to have a look at. Um, yeah. In a, maybe a similar vein, how is Reign of the Seven Spellblades doing? Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: I, <laughs> I, honestly, I didn't finish it, but I, I saw some of what you posted, and I'm very, very curious what on earth was going on in the screenshots.
2: I don't, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't even know how to, or if it can even be judged. Uh, it's, I think last time we had the concern about the one character who was, like, pro- Uh, magical creature rights turning out to be like just somebody that experimented on brains uh they defeated that character uh and they kind of just pulled on Orochimaru and went like oh yeah i definitely kind of went off the deep end but i'm willing to help you guys out now also you cut off my hand and i turned my hand into a little sentient monster that's fun and uh is like a thing from the adams family uh but now they introduce this new plot. Early on, there's this like there's these people that wander around the labyrinth under the school who are like uh, might kill slash kidnap students. One of them is this bodacious succubus lady. You learn her backstory. Uh, they were trying to like I guess do some eugenics by using uh, succubus wombs. So all of them have like a, a womb power. Also, the womb can hold magic, so that's really great for uh, girls in the series, I guess. Magic uh, <laughs> battery. Uh, They teach Pete that when Pete, I don't know if we talked about it last time, Pete uh, is a reversi who is somebody who changes gender sometimes when they sleep. Uh, And when that happens to Pete, Pete is invited by uh, this magical uh, singing NB to the like LGBT, magical LGBT variety club or something. They all have a a nice time. I was sure it was going to turn out they were all evil, but no, they just like to hang out. Uh, hold little concerts and drink juice, or I don't know if they like that. <laughs> so that, yeah, well, yeah. that's so on, Yeah, and then they're just like, oh, Pete, since you can turn into a girl, as you know when you're a girl, you can store, uh, or you're like, you know, your magic aptitude's changing, you can store mana in your womb And uh, Pete's kind of gets kidnapped by the succubus lady. Turns out she's trying to draw a bunch of boy energy uh, to, <laughs> to you her experiment to create, like, I don't know, the ultimate demon womb. It's not quite clear. She's trying to... There's a, there's the, like an ultimate spell called the Grand Aria that every mage can develop. She develops hers by collecting boy energy, but of course she kidnaps Pete, who emerges from the boy coma that all the other boys are trapped in because Pete turns into a girl when they sleep, right? So, starts staging an escape while everybody else is trying to rescue Pete. Uh, it turns out that magical envy from before is like uh, a partner family guardian to the succubus each of them are assigned one and they're all castrati it's an entire subfamily of castrati each of them is paired with one of the succubuses and their magical uh uh, falsetto boy song can uh i guess i like if the succubuses go crazy uh can it just unmix her so i don't really (laughs) i don't know if that was the specific purpose of the song so like i don't there's just all of this i don't know what to do with this <laughs> like, yeah, i don't think there's this. I, I don't know how to, like i don't know where to start i don't know how you could possibly critique all of this confusion i don't know if it's really it's doing a lot of gender stuff for sure
0: but and it's not finished
1: either
2: so different like, from reality yeah
1: if it you can cut this if you view it to be like inappropriate, but like this whole series is just giving. Have you ever seen that t- copy pasta? That's like, Twink gets railed by his transsexual goth girlfriend, gets himself poi preggers, and has to go to the boy necologist and get a boy abortion. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i've seen that. Yeah. Right.
0: It's giving
1: yeah, that.
2: It's got at least half of that. Yeah, it's uh... a. <laughs>
0: Um, and this is only the halfway point, right? Like this is this is going into a second this is going for a full 24 or 26 episodes. It was just it was a
2: 15 episode season instead of a tour tw- cuz okay. they, they, they had to really cover this succubus woman's arc. There was a little bit interesting stuff there with like oh god, she yeah, like you know, she goes to school for the first time. They have magic pheromones that drive all drive all the boys wild. Uh, uh-huh. and uh, the, this one guy who leads like uh, the like safety commission keeps introducing himself to her and then casting a spell that essentially is just like a spell that kicks yourself in the dick. Uh, <laughs> so, what? So, every time he would say so hello to her, he, you know, he gets exposed to the pheromones, he starts getting aroused and then he kicks himself in the dick with magic. And after uh, like two months of that, once a day, he finally, I guess, uh, starts psych- psychologically associating the smell of her pheromones with dick pain. And uh, is able to, he doesn't get aroused by her presence anymore. He's, he's conquered her pheromones, so he can be a real wow. friend of her. Which was his I, dream. I, I, dream so yeah, I yeah. wish...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just wish that there was a compilation film of this, like, of all the craziest yeah. moments, so we could do, like, a, a drink-along post-mortem yeah. for this, because that seems like it could be a fun time.
2: Mm-hmm. You're okay. uh, definitely just like, oh, what what will they do next? um yeah but she ends up joining his crew she of course falls in love with him because he went to such extent to like have a real relationship with her that's not defined by her you know the magic just making him thirsty for her. uh actually he has a guy that likes him that doesn't like her because he's afraid that her pheromones will make him not gay for the student council president but anyway a lot of girls like this guy they all accuse her he's of
1: afraid a- wait he's afraid that he will get turned not gay
2: yeah, oh yeah, because he's gay for the student council president. But he's just like you're just trying to you're gonna try to seduce me with your pheromones and make me not hot for the student council president anymore.
1: I'm uh, so done. I feel yeah. like I feel like all the best. I feel like everything in this show that would have made me want to watch more of it happened after I dropped it, and now I want to go back and watch it just to see this train wreck.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's wild stuff. But uh, uh, so that uh, like the little bit I think that was in her article was that after she ends up hanging out with this guy and getting a crush on him because you know he, he went out, out on such a limb for her, uh, a lot of other girls in the school have a crush on this guy accused sort of you know seducing him with her pheromones. I guess missing the 60 times he publicly kicked himself in the dick uh, in, in front because I was in the lunchroom and stuff. Everybody saw that. So. Uh, <laughs> So it eventually gets to the point where uh, she just like uh, she gets so turned down by all these people just assuming that she was trying to seduce this guy, uh, and she's not actually useful. That she ends up getting in a lot of fights uh, from getting bullied and turning. She was made into the monster that you see her as in the end of the series. So uh, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe, I feel like I'm just hitting all the plot points now. This it's crazy. It is a crazy <laughs> series.
0: I'm like, do we need to do a retrospect, like a whole hour-long episode about this series? It sounds like it has a lot going on, um, no. for better or worse. Neutral statement. It's a lot. Um, yeah. Okay, so just to clarify, is this show finished at a slightly longer season, or is it continuing yeah. through? I fall?
2: am okay. 99% sure that episode 15 was the final episode, yes.
0: Okay, all right. So I misread the episode. Like continuing into fall, but only for a little bit. Um, so there you go. You can watch it in its entirety and see all of that. Um, yeah. I don't know how to wrap that up or segue out of that. That sounds... Yeah.
2: If somebody sounds feels up. feels like they're in a place where they can uh, judge or critique this show in any way, hit us up in the comments because uh, I, I don't know what to do. I watched the whole or, thing. Yeah.
1: If, you love like a in a studio. if you love mess, hit us up
0: yeah i mean our, our pitches are open this sounds like mm. there's like several articles work of, <laughs> of stuff going on here um okay well that's i was not expecting fucking any of that from <laughs> where we started <laughs> and
2: the animal rights themes might be bad <laughs> that seems so long ago now
0: <laughs> it mm. seems like it's throwing so much at you. It's like a centuries worth of, of content and thoughts. Um, okay. 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 Do we need to do an episode on this? Let's, pff, let's discuss. Um, anyway, thank you, Peter. That's was reign of the seven spellblades. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh wow yeah how do i okay i'm just gonna move along i'm just gonna move along and keep on rolling down the road next up we have reborn as a vending machine and now wander the dungeon which i think we all watched um on the maybe unexpected if not favorite like unexpectedly charming show of the season at least by isekai standards um although i will say this one would like it kept alternating, like it would pleasantly surprise me by doing something that was sort of unexpectedly progressive and then a few minutes later it would unexpectedly surprise me again by doing something that kind of wasn't. Um, for example, there's an episode where they're out adventuring and Lamas gets her period and so Boxo turns into a uh, – Menstrual hygiene product vending machine. Um, it helps her out, you know, just just casually, completely revolutionising the medical technology in this world like it did with the condoms. No big deal at all. Um, that was pretty cool. That was pretty neat. You don't see menstruation um, acknowledged or made a plot point very often in anime at all. So that was a pleasant surprise. I thought that was pretty neat.
2: Yeah. It's also nice just seeing the girls see it and just go like, oh, this is what it's for. That's really cool. Boy, they're very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> And like yeah. nobody's aghast uh, or cracking wise or anything like that. They're just like, dang, this is really, oh man, how how convenient, how useful.
0: Yeah, so. that was cool. Um, but mm-hmm. then also, like an episode or so later, there's a scene where, like, I want to I want to describe this correctly. There's a, a foster home in a dank, wet cave full of the like most wettest, saddest Dickensian orphans you can imagine. Um, And Boxo goes down there to help And he vends like food and clothes And toys and it's all very wholesome and nice And then he looks into the camera and is like Wait am I just teaching them to accept Handouts and rely on handouts
2: What I must have missed that line Damn that's messed up Boxo
0: (laughs) Yeah it's just like And then just like the show just moves on And Mm. they defeat some bad guys Who are trying to hurt these Cave orphans it's so like (laughs) Ah Anyway, I was like, box yeah, over oh, More bit, know, you know, perfect no, anyway. victims
2: you could not find. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if, I'm not going to make a call and say Vending Machine is, like, you know, either uh, very regressive or very progressive. It's just kind of doing its thing. Um, it's just kind of fun. It clears the low bar that Isekai have of not having a scumbag protagonist. It's got some fun characters. It's got, like, the same janky aesthetic sensibilities and weak ass world building um, as most things in the genre and the complaints I have about most things in the genre so I'm not going to love them at vending machines specifically but you know what it was fun it was fun um, I'm ultimately going to recommend it not in a way of like oh my gosh you have to watch this thing it is amazing but in terms of yeah it's fun relaxing pop it on the background and enjoy the really creative applications of different kinds of vending machine technology
2: yeah, it's a chill vibe.
0: It's a chill vibe. Do you have any thoughts on this one, Tony? Yeah, I i mean,
1: to be honest, I, I watched about five episodes of it, and it was fun. It was nice. I just felt a little bit like, well, I don't feel... I think in general with a lot of episodic shows like this, I tend to just kind of not feel super compelled to watch the next episode, and so I eventually fall further and further behind. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm, what happened. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's fair enough. Like, you've got other things on your plate this season, um, oh, I do I As you say. <laughs> so yeah, vending machine. Not too much to say, which is fair enough. It's just out there doing what it's doing, mm. um, and good for vending machine. Uh, next up, we are going to check in with Helk, which is also. So again, I have a noise in my throat every time. Uh, Helk, we have some notes from Chiaki. Uh, the second call is ongoing this season. But uh, the plot thickens as Hulk and company make their way home for the events of Ep 4 where they get blasted into the horizon. Uh, the characters continue to be zany and there's a question on whether this is supposed to be a comedy or a more straightforward fantasy series. But yeah, that's Hulk, um, And there's really not too much to say about that one. And again, we'll check back in with it at the end of the season when it wraps up. We'll see how it plays. We also just have a quick note on Bang Dream. Um... For a longer version of this, you can look forward to our recommendations post, but the short version is that it's very good at capturing a sense of these are very high school problems, but they are earth-shattering for the characters, that sense of emotional stakes. Um, the CG is perfunctory and not amazing, but not the level of being distracting, and uh, these are notes from Vry. Vry likes that Anon is a gremlin with depth and that Tamori is autistic coded in a way that doesn't feel infantilizing. Um, now, someone who's probably not going to watch any other Bang Dream properties, it's quite nice and feels very self-contained. As you can hear, dear listeners, I'm losing my voice. This is not the anime's fault. It's just the way that it's going. Um, oh, I
2: thought you were really chuffed so with make- Bang Dream.
0: I'm really choked up about Bang Dream. I don't know is there one on here? I'm like, is there one on here that I can make a joke? It's like, oh, this anime gave me a cold. It's so bad. Um, well, uh, i also <laughs>
1: say that Bang Dream, Bang Dream is full of melodrama and mess. So I don't know, maybe uh, making you tear up a bit, remembering all those girls, like, <laughs> all those like, powerful like, moments. I just want them to be okay. Um, I I, I watched. I only was able to get through one episode of this, and then I was like, "I, I disagree with Rye. I think the CG is extremely distracting." <laughs> but that—that that, <laughs> that, that is my opinion. That is my honest opinion. I—I I will say it's interesting that it has the same series composer as Given and the and the first uh, the the the, the better part of Flip Flappers, aka the first like six episodes of Flip Flappers. Um, <laughs> which so i think in general with the show probably what the case is that the writing is not the problem the writing is from what i've heard quite good it's just the animation that this is Will either make
0: this being a visual medium that we're talking about of course is that your mileage will vary on um, how much the aesthetics and the look of a show will put you off or switch you back on um so next up um is the one that i get to talk about With my creaky little voice, which is the most heretical last boss queen from villainess to Saviour. Now, maybe this is the one that did give me a cold, because this is the one where we get to talk about our favourite thing, which is the portrayals of slavery in fantasy anime. Yay! Mm -hmm. Okay. Which I will say I was not expecting, um, and I am somewhat disappointed, because I was really ready to recommend this show as being like, well, it's not for me, but it could be for somebody else. It's doing interesting stuff with its female characters, um... Well, mostly just a lead, to be fair. And, you know, it's playing with genre in a fun way. Ah, But then it did a bunch of things that I... I'm just going to tell you what happens. I'm just going to tell you what goes on. So, to be fair, the story generally does come to the conclusion that slavery is bad. A low bar, but it's there. Human trafficking is bad. Kidnapping children to sell them. um talking about human beings as merchandise is a bad thing that villains do. Um, and we do have a whole plot line where the good guys break into a trafficking ring, free all the captured people, and beat up the bad guys running the place. There's even some very uh, dramatic imagery of Princess Pride as a breaker of chains. It's, you know, generally the narrative takes a stance: slavery is not so good, and not a fan. However, also <laughs> I need to talk about a character named Val. Um, Val is one of the only darker-skinned characters in the cast. Unfortunately, you can possibly tell where this is going. Um, He's originally introduced as an antagonist early on in the show. Uh, He's from a foreign kingdom. He's attacking people and doing bad stuff. And it is a plot point that Pride has to save someone from him to change the plot of the Otomo game that she has been zapped into. Um... So Val is captured and imprisoned after this battle and Pride gets to decide how to punish him for his crimes. And so because Pride is trying to be good and trying to be diplomatic and trying not to be the tyrant that her character is in the original run of the game, she opts not to execute him, but instead to bind him with something that they call a fealty contract, which is a magical agreement that places certain supernatural limitations on him. So like, even if he tries, he physically can't hurt, um, members of the royal family or citizens of this kingdom, for example, and, you know, he, he can't do more crime, uh, things like that. So uh, I was talking to a friend about this and he said, wow, that's a really interesting magical allegory for the way that uh, incarcerated people have their agency removed by the state. And I said, first of all, there's a podcast episode about um abolitionist theory anime that you might want to listen to. Um, <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, I don't yes. know if it <laughs> – but unfortunately I don't know if it is trying to be an interesting allegory or any kind of comment on that because it's played so straight and it's presented as very much as pride doing something good because again she's trying to be nice she's trying to be good and so what she does she basically engineers a technicality that means he gets to go live his life uh you know don't get it twisted he's still absolutely under her magical control and is physically compelled to do what she tells him to but he can also just go and be a guy uh and I thought that's uncomfortable played into a couple of, you know, racial stereotypes and tropes, whether the author meant to or not. Because, um, yeah. again, enhanced by the fact that Val is basically the only character with a, a character design with a darker skin tone. Um, also and, great. Well, yep, you know, just great. Um, I was ready to just, like, let that go. And then Val comes back um, <laughs> and becomes very plot relevant. Um, and we get this. Oh, excruciating sequence where he's basically being kind of twisted out of shape and is in horrible pain because he is physically compelled to do whatever pride says, and this compulsion has also led him back to her to ask for her help, whether he wants to or not. Um oh, and it's just like he spends a whole episode either being bossed around by people, physically messed up by this magic spell or, like, punching walls and stuff because it is the only way that he can reclaim some autonomy over his body and express some anger, basically. Um, he's, he's just – he's a bit unhinged to this episode, which, on the one hand, I can understand being in an emotional state, but, you know, looking at him as, like, oh, this is the decision they have made to characterize this character, it's, you know, it's very animalistic. It's very uh, – Um. And the crux of all this, of course, is that he's actually just very sad because some kids he's friends with got kidnapped by human traffickers and he really just needs to calm down and give in and ask Pride for help. And because Pride is nice, because Pride is being nice, this whole overlong sequence ends with him sobbing in her very benevolent, noble arms. And it's uncomfortable. Um, And it goes on way too long because the pacing in the show is not amazing to begin with. Um, (laughs) And it's just like... It's, it's, it's all capped off by the fact that, like, yes, they go off and, you know, defeat this human trafficking ring. It's selling magical kids. It's all very heroic and very nice. But it's still like, hey, uh, Pride, you basically own this guy. And in fact, her being like, I order you to X, Y, Z is part of the thing that saves the day in the end. So the fact that she has this physical compulsion over him is narratively positioned as a good thing. Um, and then there's all the uh, I'm not even, you know, no, not, not going too deep into spoiler territory, but get to the final episode. And it's kind of just like, ah, they're all friends now. Don't worry about it. He's even calling her master in kind of a jokey, flirty way. And I'm not uh, wanting to comment on whether that's, you know, unilaterally good representation, bad representation, complicated. Well, I'm just going to tell you that it made me uncomfortable. And I imagine it will make a lot of other people uncomfortable as well and uh so yes, that unfortunately it's where we it's where it leaves off with um last boss queen
2: and yeah, that great seems like it uh that really comes from the kind of position where you think laws and justice are the same thing, and mm. uh, yeah at the end uh, that stuff at the end sounds like it's getting a little too freaky <laughs> yeah.
0: like it's as I say, it's it's mostly it mostly blindsided me because again, it, it, you have these two versions of you know effectively slavery. Like, why is having power and control over a living being cool and even kind of chivalrous when pride does it? But it's evil and nasty when the other guys do it. You know, like maybe they're not exactly the same, and maybe as far as the show is concerned, that's like comparing apples to origins. You know, but it really stood out, and it was just this bizarre dissonance to me. That's really just, you know, soured any goodwill I had left for the show, which is unfortunate because, you know, we want to give these uh, female led, you know, villainous, uh, villainess rather shows, we want to give them a shot. But this one just just did, when no one did that. So that uh, unfortunately is my report from the most heretical last boss queen. Ah, next up, though, we have The Gene of AI. Peter, are you still keeping up with this one? We have some notes from Chiaki, but I will hear from you first. Uh... Yeah.
2: No, I don't have anything, so I'm curious Not what worry. Chiaki thinks. Yeah.
0: What Chiaki thinks, and I will read from Chiaki's notes. Uh, Gina I really wants you to think about robots and humanity, but I think so much of it gets boring when half the episodes fail to contribute to an overarching story. The series starts out teasing the viewer with crime thriller potential, but instead you spend several episodes asking again and again what makes a man a man. Uh, Sudo's role as a mog- mogadit mogadit, uh, who's a doctor who will do anything for a price, teases he's going to be doing some cool stuff, but he mostly just does extremely normal things, if a little unconventional. For example, fixing a teddy bear. And the series ends with a promise for more to come, and it kind of sucks because the show really does spend the entire season doing what it did, and suddenly in the final episode just slaps gun in Sudo's hands and tells him, copies of your mother are in a fascist-controlled African nation ravaged by civil war. Good luck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Wait, what?
0: Uh, that's all the information I have. Um, <laughs> like
2: the, it's what we were making. It's so many, like, fucking, like, 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 daily cases and stuff like that that had that <laughs> waiting in episode 12. Jeez.
0: Uh, so Chucky, Chucky says, I read ahead on the manga, and Gene of AI actually kind of ends there, and a sequel, Gene of AI Red Queen, starts up afterwards. And Red Queen Red is what <laughs> it's far interesting um, and is the thriller that I wish Gene of AI had been but I also do want to see a season 2 of this no not if I have to convince people to watch season 1 so that's where we have landed on Gene of AI um, had some potential it sounds like mostly kind of meh, paddled yeah, around if, <laughs> until I, I
2: think we said this last time but really every type of scenario it presents you with it always kind of buries the lead and ask the least Mm. possible interesting question about the scenario that it's come up with. So, uh,
0: which is unfortunate. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's, here's all these interesting philosophical questions. And then here's this, oh my God. So that's all right. Maybe one of these days we'll have a really solid, um, you know, cyberpunk series that delves into everything that we're looking for. In Mm -hmm. the meantime, Tony, do you want to tell me about undead murder fast? Uh,
1: you, yeah, so Undead Murder Farce is fantastic. Um, just show of the season, maybe show of the year, depending on like what else pops up. Oh, I I think that it's mm, there's so much to it. First of all, um, it's got this absolutely iconic visual style from Mamoru Hitakayama, obviously. But as the arcs have gone on, there's been become this really interesting divide I've noticed between um, between Aya and Suguru's kind of cynicism and like more cold way of like looking and feeling towards the people around them. And I think it's fair to say that Shizuku is weirdly starting to feel a little bit like at least in the last arc, like, she was the heart of that arc, right? Like, she was the one who was actually empathizing with and connecting with the people whose lives are being torn apart by these um, murders and stuff. Now, of course, Suguru and Aya ultimately do the right thing in the end by these people in terms of, like, trying to solve the murder and get to a point where there can be some kind of, like, where clarity can help create, like, A more lasting piece right um but shizuku really felt like she was um uh how do i put this like her intimate connections with the people around her were what um were the heart of that last arc and that those intimate connections also felt like explicitly queer like I mean and Shizuku has been explicitly queer since like the middle of the show like at one point Carmilla you know is like um, doing her whole you know uh, predatory lesbian um, like bodice ripper thing and Shizuku says to her as a burn like excuse me I'm used to somebody who's much much more experienced than you are and obviously that's Aya, right? <laughs> uh, and so, like, it, and, you know, in this last arc, you know, Shizuku practically is just, like, falling into another group of, like, naked women every, like, <laughs> couple episodes. But it fe- never feels... Ex- <laughs> it, 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 it's very sweet, and it never feels exploitative in that sense. Um, uh, except for certain scenes with Carmilla. But, you know, as I said, She's like that's that bodice. That's kind of her thing. Yeah. But in the fact that there's so many other lesbians or queer women in this show, right? In Aya, in Shizuka, um, I think really balances that out. Um, I'll also say, I mean, the last arc is about like how I cannot think of something that's more apropos nowadays, given what's going on with um, um, the conflicts between Israel and in the Gaza Strip then the, the ethnic cleansing that's happening in that last arc it was really difficult to watch for me at times like i mean there's one shot that just feels like it captures the like brutality of that kind of ethnic cleansing where um one of the characters one of the the um the monster hunters just kind of uses chains and just starts beheading civilians just people who are too- and it felt to me like the show was trying to start to, I'm not entirely sure what the show was saying, to be honest, about ethnic cleansing. I'm, I'm still kind of working through that. But it seemed like the show was interested in the experiences of marginalized people and how they form these kind of communities where they can be safe and comfortable, but also then how those communities can end up, like, because they're so insular and because they're so separatist, right, <laughs> potentially exacerbate The problem, right? Um, and I I I really, really loved this show. Um, and I really hope it gets a season two. So um, and also Suguru just continues to be so incredibly hot. Um (laughs) and I love that he's this fucking theater kid, like constantly quoting Rakugo performances for no other reason than to annoy Shizuku. Um uh, and it brings me so much joy every time Aya tells Shizuku to smack him because it just feels a little bit like it's just got this very like bratty sub-dom um like thruple dynamic that I just find so fun and queer. It's just such a <laughs> queer <laughs> show. And I love that about it. And it's so um in the OP, I know this isn't really a popular opinion, but I love the OP and uh, the OP Slabs. That's it unpopular. is popular. Yeah, I, I could, I'm going to be writing the NFM recommendation for it, but, you know, I, I am a huge Undead Murder farce fan. I definitely
2: definitely had mixed feelings about the final arc. I think it, it really got gratuitous with the death and stuff, uh, which as you say, can be useful if it's trying to, you know, um, say something, um. However, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm wondering whether, uh, based on what you're saying, I was maybe looking at it in the wrong perspective since I think this series was largely very pretty bloodless leading into this final arc, like during the whole caper with Sherlock Holmes, I don't think anybody died at all. Um, and uh, the, there's only the, like the vampire locked room murder mystery arc where somebody was, uh, killed. And then you just enter this arc where people are dying left and right. And I it, like in regards to like the, you know the insular communities uh, I I feel like there there could have been something at work there. However, like the way that it played out was kind of confusing to me because uh, the the victims were largely just I think mostly children, young girls uh of this this murderer who was supposedly taking revenge against both villages i guess trying to harm each of them as much as possible by killing their children which (laughs) that doesn't seem like uh, a great way to go about it maybe you know punish the people who are doing evil things rather than basically innocent kids um and ultimately they let her go because they feel that she was i guess morally in the right for doing what she did because that uh, both villages w- were largely guilty of, you know, something. Um, but yeah, just basically just killing a lot of girls, tricking them all into starting to hurt each other and then fucking off. Uh, didn't seem like a, a just way to go about that, but then it was kind of framed that way in retrospect. Um, and also, yeah, the the way that they kind of went about the mystery, like where, uh, oh my God, what's the guy's name? Uh Yeah. Okay yeah he like uh he was supposed to create a distraction and he just murders three guys like he could have just knocked him out but he seemed yeah. to uh yeah. very uh, t- take a lot of enjoyment out of like basically mutilating them <laughs> uh, uh mm. it, there was just like a lot of collateral damage that seemed unnecessary uh yeah. and i don't know whether that was supposed to tell me that he and Aya are just not good people after all uh while shizuku is the good one since she was actually empathizing with them um or whether just the series was using just decided that it would be good to start using a bunch of uh you know uh extraneous death as kind of like uh just to set stages for the drama in the final scene you know
1: yeah Um, and i think to me like i i really agree with a lot of the critiques you're making especially what you said about like um the what you just said about Suguru not just becoming complicit, but an active participant, right. In, in, in the bloodbath happening in the, um, in the werewolf village, that was really difficult for me to sit through. I, and it's like, it, it kind of is like a little bit of that problem with anime where it's like, okay, it's allegedly against violence, but it's like, Oh, look, Ooh, cool violence. Right. You know? Uh, and so so yeah i i I definitely understand where you're coming from with that critique um I'm. yeah and also the one
2: who was not killed in the village uh probably the one most deserving of some sort of revenge was the old crone in the werewolf village who was actively practicing eugenics Mm. i
1: was
2: like so your revenge involves not killing the the one most at fault uh so yeah. that obviously she's just going to start doing what she was doing again. I so I don't mm-hmm. really know how any of this uh, how did any of this create a better world or actually enact some sort of vengeance against the people who are most deserving of it.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest, like mm-hmm. your critiques are like I your critiques are are, are really swaying my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I I know I came out really strong pro this show and now I'm like, "Oh gosh, you're right." Oof. Ouch. Yeah, um, I I, I, will also I definitely catch. think I, I almost
2: felt like I was missing something at certain points because that arc was moving so fast and so much was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that like so just the death kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And the thing that you said about Shizuku kind of like her being the key to unsolving solving the mystery by empathizing with them, kind of like it clicked in my head how it, yeah the other two just had zero empathy. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and seemed to actually yeah, be active participants in uh, this bloodbath. And in retrospect, like when they had the choice to, to uh, mm-hmm. like judge the person who was responsible for murdering all these young girls just decided that she was without blame and free to go. And, and yeah, yeah. It, with all that together, it's, yeah, I'm just like, what? <laughs> what, what the heck? Yeah, no,
1: that's a really apt critique of this, of this arc. I think, honestly.
2: Mm-hmm yeah very strange i don't know what to say Uh, like yeah it uh i feel like it ended in a really odd place because it's obvious they're gonna like go to london and look for her body now um so i don't know if we have a season two incoming or something but it definitely kind of really puts a different spin on the kind of fun loving uh, to, well, Shizuku's kind of the stick in the mud one, right? But and the other two are the jokesters, but they seem a lot more menacing now. And, and then just it suddenly ends. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so maybe, no,
0: yeah. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> were you also
2: watching <throat>
1: this, Alex?
0: I was. I <laughs> so funnily enough, this one kind of I was interested in it, and then it transpired that it was not all going to be like the first episode, and was mostly going to be them kicking around in Europe with Sherlock Holmes and other, um, you know uh, public domain characters. And I was less interested oh, okay. in that. So I dropped it quite early, but that is very interesting. It sounds like, yeah, it's maybe it's got a lot going on. that is maybe a little bit complicated, but Hey, that's all right. That's good to discuss. Uh, mm. good to have the, good to have complicated ones to sink our teeth into. So we can still look forward to your recommendation right up of that one, Tony. Um, for now, though, let's wrap up, uh, at least for the moment, before we get into sequels, uh, just a couple of them. where I will talk about My Happy Marriage, which is the top of our list here. Did you watch any more of this one, Tony?
1: I unfortunately lost access to Netflix, like, around episode four, ah, yes. and I can't – I just didn't want to afford um, – I, I didn't want to pay for Netflix anymore.
0: That is all right. Well, I will give my due sense on this one, but obviously, again, saving space for the recommendation that is forthcoming because I ended up really liking this one. I still have a couple of gripes with it, mostly just small frustrations about kind of the same things we talked about last time in terms of the construction of the main character's agency of the plot. And though I will say, again, without spoilers, it does come to a pretty satisfying conclusion in terms of her slow burn growth towards regaining some control over her life and saying, wait, I want something now and I'm going to try and fight for it with the powers that I have. Um, And I think, you know, last time we talked about this very complicated sort of dynamic between the fantasy of an abused person being rescued and being protected and, you know, being taken care of in that way and the kind of narrative need for your female protagonist to be doing stuff, to be impacting the narrative in a way that is satisfying. And that's going to be different for each person. Um, and I think, so rather than putting down a, a, a unilateral stamp of a, a, on this series, what I will say is it is a gradual journey of a person coming from a, a young woman specifically, coming from a very bad place. Gradually learning to feel safe, gradually learning to feel okay, and gradually learning to feel happy and like she can want things, and then coming to a finale where she starts to enact that. Now, whether that gradual pace is uh, satisfying or frustrating to you may depend on how you feel about this one in the end. Um, Although, of course, this is getting a second season, which is pretty exciting, um, if only for just... Oh my God, this Shoujo Jose series is getting uh, high production values and a continuation. That's so exciting. It never happens. Um, you know, you got to take any win like that where well, you can. But also it is extra satisfying to me because I see, okay, well, in the, in the TV version of the story, we are going to see her continue to grow from this point. And even if it is slow and steady, it's going to keep going uphill, I hope, at least. Based on the trajectory of the, this first season, I have high hopes this is going to continue in that direction. So I think this one may be divisive for people. Some people may find it um, boring and unsatisfying. Some people may really resonate with it. I think this is one, you know, see what it's putting down and see if you're picking it up. I swear i land on this one. As I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoy also how it gets sort of into the bigger world or deeper political machinations in the second half. Um Again, it's still a little frustrating that it's kind of like Mio is at home learning to love herself and learning to enjoy how she looks and learning to be, you know, have, have friends and things, and her husband is out doing like the actual political plot. Um, that's a bit meh, but there's also a cool, like, magic sword and gun fight, and I can never argue with that. Um <laughs> so <clears throat> as I said. I think people may have complicated feelings on this one uh, depending on your tastes, depending on your experiences maybe, but I really liked it and I'm excited to see more of it. And that is my happy marriage. And that is uh, the end of our initial list. So let's go and do a couple sequel sequels before the clock runs out for us. I'll also take a chance to give a quick shout-out to our uh, Netflix jail series of the season, which is Uku, The Inner Chambers, um, which kind of dropped – in between summer and fall in a weird sort of place so we're bubbling it into summer um this one there's been yeah a, a little divisive on the team but again on that question of aesthetics as we talked about before um some folks reckon that the kind of visuals really detract from the uh, deep character plot line that's going on and you know, detract from the drama of it all. Um, whereas others think that it's not that big a deal. So, you know, see what your eyeballs, uh, see how your eyeballs react <laughs> to the series. But general consensus is that this is a really interesting, uh, fantastic, alternate historical drama that gets into a lot of really interesting intricacies in terms of gender Um, and power and autonomy, all sorts of juicy stuff. Um, What I will say for now is look forward to our recommendation write-up, if that's not out already by the time this goes live. Um, So that is Uku the Inner Chambers. We also have a quick note on the... Where have you gone? The Duke of Death and His Maid, season two, which Chiaki says, basically, if you watched the first season and you liked it, you will want to watch the second season. It expands well from the first core to encompass a larger entourage of characters that's a lot of fun to be with. Also, there's a musical number once in a while, and that's cute. Uh, keep in mind, the show is still pretty horny, and uh, Zane, one of the female characters, is a lech. But besides that, Duke and Alice are a sweet couple. And speaking of... Um, aesthetics and visuals, the 3D computer animation also feels much more fluid and refined than in the first season. So uh, the show is what I wish Ruby was uh, says Chiaki. And it once again ends with a cliffhanger, begging for a season three, and honestly, I'm here for it. Uh, Also from Chiaki, we have a recommendation of Sacrificial Princess and the Kingdom of Beasts, uh, which the short version is, again, I will direct you towards our recommendations that are coming soon. The short version is this sort of gets past its uh, initial kind of beauty in the beast theme and is genuinely a treat once you get past the kind of scandalous element of the premise. And um, it does do some interesting stuff with its sort of themes of um, rough fictionalized racism and class and things like that. But again, I will leave Chiaki to speak for Chiaki and for this show when the recommendation comes out to wrap us up for this month season whatever we're in <laughs> I once again pass the mic to you Tony can you tell us a little bit about near automata
1: yes near automata okay so I I'll be honest I found the game frustrating I was not a huge fan of the game it was funny because all my friends were telling me it's the greatest game ever played and I was like is it really though <laughs> <laughs> like it just it feels like bargain bin bayonetta but um anyways um, in terms of the the actual, like, action. Um, I didn't really enjoy the, like, battle mechanics. Um, But I found the story interesting in the game. Um, But I found myself struggling with, uh, like, how the relative, like, convoluted nature of the plot, um, the kind of gestures at existential philosophy without really, like, digging deep into it or, like, having... A meaningful engagement with what it means to create a life like existential philosophy is often about. Um, and then, so the anime, I approached the anime kind of with this a little bit of like, okay, eh, anime is based on games, are usually not very good. Um, and I will say, like, overall, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, I it's It's been a show that um is inconsistent. Like, the first episode is a horrible introduction to the show because it's just basically a shot-for-shot remake of the first, you know, the prologue for Nier Automata and is, like, offers nothing. It's giving us nothing for the people who've played the game. Um, But there's... What I've really found enjoyable is when the show completely diverges from what the game is doing. Like when the when the show is just doing its own thing, it's, it's been by far at its best. Like I think one of the episodes, James mentioned in his review for a and that I believe it was episode maybe, uh, I don't remember which episode. But one of the episodes that's Lily's flashback is based upon a, a play that was put on um, in the Near Automata universe Um, Or not in the universe, but like set in the Neuron universe. And that episode was really powerful. It actually made me cry. It was just so thoughtful around the contrast between how people, even within horribly oppressive and dehumanizing systems, can find ways to value each other and care for one another, but how that care for one another can end up getting be, be weaponized by the system to reinforce its own, you know, what it's doing. I thought that was really powerful. Um, I th- I think that the... Yeah, just in general, when it's doing its own thing, it's really enjoyable. And then there's another scene where like 9S and 2B are just kind of waiting around the water and having a good time. It, completely anime original. Love that scene. Um, but when it's just kind of replaying the same kind of arcs of the games, the best I can say about it is it's very beautifully animated. Um, and very visually interesting, but in terms of like uh, just offering much, you know, outside of that, n- not not really. It's just it's just a very beautifully version of the ga- beautiful version of the game when it's not kind of doing its own thing. So I guess what I'm saying is, when it's good, it's good, but like I would say, about like sixty percent of it is just kind of re- replay of the game, dialogue, and ideas, and music, and. At a certain point, that just kind of feels a little bit like, "Why am I even watching this?" So, yeah, good and bad. I uh, at a certain point, it did feel a little bit like a chore to watch, but um not, but not in a chore to watch in an actively painful sense. Just in a well, kind of bored now because I've already seen this sense.
2: Damn. Mm-hmm. Early in early in spring, it really looked like it was going to diverge into its own story. So sad to hear that it was just a little bit of extra content on top of the same thing.
1: Yeah, no, it's not doing the branching story thing that we were all hoping. Cause we know that like Yoko Taro sometimes likes to like in an adaptation, like do this completely different kind of thing. Kind of like how there's like different routes here on a with different things. This is not that right now up until the ending, it's been very much just, um, wraps a and B of the game because a and B are from, you know, uh, uh, two B and nine's perspectives, and it's just that route arc of the game plus some side content that is, frankly, much more enjoyable than the than the main story. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um. Now, Peter did promise sh- threaten. To give us a disaster report on Mashoku Tensei, but we may have to save that for a uh, Patreon bonus or <laughs> a Oh my tomorrow. god, <laughs>
2: <this> podcast, jeez.
0: <laughs> I
2: guess yeah. If we get requests, I could do that for sure. Jeez. Okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're in the salt mines already, you may as well. I don't know. We'll, we'll oh, see if I people know. are interested.
2: All the awful stuff that happens. So yeah. If if just hit me up, I'll I'll tell you everything if you really want to hear it.
0: Wonderful. For now though, we are out of time. That's gonna do us for today. I made through the whole uh, wrap up without completely losing my voice. Anime hasn't killed me yet, and it won't. Um <laughs> So thank you so much for listening and coming with us on this journey through the season wrap-up. The obvious pun here is that summer was maybe a little dry and, you know, compared to the bountiful harvest of the fall season that we've just started. Um, And you know I love an obvious pun. Uh, So thank you for sitting with us today. If you like what you heard, you can find the rest of our uh, podcast and non-podcast content on animefeminist.com. We are also on all the socials, Twitter slash X while it still lives. We're on Blue Sky. We are on Instagram and TikTok, of course, which Tony valiantly helps manage. Uh, We are on Tumblr. We are around the place. We have merch, which you can find on our site. And we have a Patreon, most importantly of all, where if you want, uh, if you really like what you heard, you can come along and help us keep the lights on and fairly pay our contributors and our editors for their hard work. And that is gonna do us for today. Again, thank you for listening along, and thank you to my valiant co hosts once again. And I don't know, what kind of, should I do on a zombie pun to take us out? Should I do a werewolf pun, a headless pun, or should you just kick me off the stage before I start talking smack?